This will be my 10th revival, summer revival going to on Monday. 10 revivals. And I remember one in particular when I was a student. It was sophomore year of high school, and I was on Team 80s. And this was the, the theme that year was decades. And so there was like Team 90s, Team 80s, Team 70s, Team 60s. You get the gist. And we was on Team 80s. And I was sophomores, and sophomores were paired up with seniors at the time, and then juniors were paired up with freshmen. And so we were with like the top dog. So my grade was with the seniors of our group. And our team was awesome. Our team was so good. Like the games, because we had the seniors, and of course me dominating on the field. No, I didn't really help out in the games that year. But we had the senior guys. They were dominating. We like did really well at the games every single day. We our team was filled with a bunch of ASB students, and so like the people that bring like pep and excitement to the school, and so they were very creative when it came to like spirit points, like, oh, we should do this, we should do this. We got like, I still remember one of our chants, I think we did, like it was cassettes, tapes, and VHS, 1980s are the best. It's like, whoa, okay, that's like pretty creative right there. I can't believe I still remember this, like <laughs> six, seven years ago. It's like super creative, got a bunch of spirit points, versus, which really give you the most points at Revival, every single day, every person on our team did the verses, every day. So it's like, okay, how, how do you win a Revival? Do well at the verses, do well at the games, do well at the spirit points. We made a video back when we did videos, and guess what? Our video came in first place. We won the video that year. It was like, okay, we're setting ourselves up for success. Throughout the week, we were kind of hovered in those top three, going back and forth. And it's like, we come into this last day. Last day, we do all of our verses. The last day, we get the most points for doing all the verses together. And we all do it. So we're coming into the time when they're going to announce the winner. And it's like, we got this. We got this in the bag. They announce, happy place is this team, team 60s. Woo! I forget who came in last place that year. It's like, oh, okay. There was 11 teams, I think, that year, too. So 10th place is this team, 9th place is this team, 8th, 7th. They worked their way up in the top five. It's okay, we're in the top five. Oh, we've always been in the top five. All right, they go to the top three. We're still, still not announced. Okay, we got the top three. Third place is not us. So it's okay. We got the final two teams left. Who is going to win Revival? We're like, we got this. I think they even like placed us in like the front section too. So it was like, okay, like they know we won. That's why they put us like, we're on the edge of our chairs. They say, first place is team 90s. Yeah, that's not what I did. <laughs> we just sat back in our chairs and we're like, what? Really? We're like this whole week, we're huddling at the top, did the games really well, won the video, everyone did their verses. Second place, the first losers, great, fantastic. It's like really all that week, and we came in second place. I remember going back to the rooms after that or going off to dinner and then our rooms later, and it was like, it's rigged. <laughs> it's rigged. It's cheap. We lost to a bunch of freshmen, too. It's like, oh, freshmen? Like, the freshmen shouldn't have beat it. Like, that's messed up. That's not fair. And then you go back to your room, and you're upset because for this whole week, you've been working really hard to win. You go back to your room, and you're frustrated. You're upset. We were downcast. And it was like, oh, all right, well, I guess Revival this year sucked. <laughs> like, I guess maybe next year it'll be fun. It's like, because back then, I cared so much about my team winning. I cared so much about coming out first that when that didn't happen, when the expectations were this high, it seemed like we had it. When it didn't happen, it was like, well, Revival kind of stunk. 
revival was kind of boring. I want you to not have your revival experience end like mine did that year. That doesn't mean coming in first instead of second. It's not being downcast or distraught no matter what place you come in. If you're second place, third place, whatever place you come into, I don't want that to be the focus of, okay, the best revival ever means coming into first place because I think that's what a lot of it is in your minds. If I said, what does it look like for you to have the best revival ever this week? Probably for a lot of you at the top of the list would be to have my team win. Then maybe to have a lot of fun on the boats, um, maybe to dominate a couple times during the games and just like have an epic moment where I just destroy everyone. Like that'd be kind of cool or have no conflict and a lot of friends. We have all these ideas of what it might look like to have the best revival ever. But I want us to go look to scripture and find principles from scripture about what it might actually look like to have this best week here at summer camp. What did that look like? This sermon is going to be a lot different than other sermons that we preach typically where we look at one passage and we derive the principles from one passage. We're going to kind of look at the breadth of Scripture and look at a bunch of different passages. You can see all of them listed there by the points and the subpoints, and derive principles from those passages and see how they can apply specifically to revival this week. And this first passage in Colossians 3, 1 to 2, hits on what we should be focused on to have the best week at revival. So, Open your Bibles, Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2. How can we have the best revival ever? Because I want it to be the best week of your lives, and I think it will be if we put into practice these principles. Colossians 3, verse 1, it says this. If then you have been raised with Christ, that's signifying someone who's a Christian, someone who's a believer. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds... On things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So it's saying, hey, our mindset as Christians should not be thinking about things that are here, temporary on this earth, but rather to focus on the things that are eternal, things that are above, things that last forever. Okay, if we think about this principle, okay, we're not supposed to be focused on worldly things, things that don't really matter, but seek the things that are above. Let's think, how can this apply this week to revival? Well, this week, you're going to be tempted to set your minds, guess what, on a lot of things that are on this earth, things that don't matter in 50 years, how well you did at games, how fun the boats were, what place you came in at revival. Guess what? That's setting your mind on things that this earth, like who cares in 50 years, let alone five years, if your team came in first place? Who cares if your team comes in fourth place? Does it really matter? Like, yeah, try to win. But is that our main focus? No, rather we should set our mind on things that are above. I put it this way for point number one. When it comes to revival, we need to care most about the spiritual aspects. Care most about the spiritual aspects. It's a bunch of spiritual aspects of revival. Go beyond just the boating, the games, the meals, the rooming. That really should be what we care most about. Because I think for a large portion of us, what we care most this week is about our team winning, having fun playing the games, enjoying the boating activities, hanging out in the pool with our friends, and all the spiritual things, the small groups, the worship, the sermons. It's like, okay, I have to do those things to really get to the fun things. But no, we're, this passage makes clear is not to care about these temp, temporary things, but care about what really matters, things that are above, the spiritual aspects. 
let's hit on what are some of these spiritual aspects at revival that we need to really care about. Subpoint A, first off, we need to pay attention to the sermons. Pay attention to the sermons. Every night, Pastor Mike is going to prepare a sermon for us to listen to. They're going to connect together each night. And are we, when we walk into that auditorium, and it's time, oh, your leader says, all right, let's get our stuff together, ready to go to the sermons. You say, all right, I just got to get through this hour so then we can do fun things afterwards. Or do you say, no, I'm excited to listen to these sermons. I can't wait. It's like, oh, for an hour, I got to sit in the chair and it might be a, a warm room that I'm in and, you know, I'm tired from the day. Or do we say, no, I can't wait to listen to the sermons. Turn your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. Let's look at how they listened to Scripture, the reading of Scripture, the sermons of the day. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, says this. It says, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. So all the people of Israel gathering together. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So, hey, bring the book of the law, the Bible of the day. Verse 2. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Look again at verse 3, what it says when and how long they were doing this. He read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. So this reading of scripture by Ezra to the people of Israel took place in early morning. That's like when the sun comes up. So that's like what, 6 a.m. about? Till midday, which is what? Noon. So six hours of them listening to God's word being read. What? Like, man, I, when I got to listen to Nathan talk for like 45 minutes, that like gets tiring. It's like I can't even pay attention for that long. Six hours. You can look down in verse 5. It says that when this was happening, all the people were standing. <laughs> the people stood during this time. Could you imagine, as Ezra's reading it, from early morning until midday, all the people are gathered together, and guess what? They're standing there, listening to the Bible being read. And they're paying attention, and they're listening. If we were there, I'm sure a lot of us would be like, all right, the first 10 minutes, but it's been 20 minutes, 30 minutes, all right, my legs are getting tired. It's been an hour. Man, I gotta go to the bathroom. Gotta, yeah, let me leave, go to the bathroom. It's like, oh man, I'm tired. Can I just sit down? They have all these things in our minds just distracting us when people of Israel here were paying attention. They were eager to hear God's word. That's what it says at the end of verse 3. All the, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. They listened well. They paid attention. Are we going to pay attention to the sermons at Revival? Are we going to, when all these distractions come, are we going to take advantage and try to use those distractions to not listen to the sermons. Because people of Israel could have had a lot of, oh, well, my legs are tired, so I got to go back home. Or, man, I got to go to the bathroom, so I'm not going to pay attention. 
or man, I'm, I can't understand this, so I'm not going to try, try to. At Revival, there's going to be a lot of distractions that you might have that will try to prevent you from paying attention to the sermons. Guess what? One of them is going to the restroom. How many of you guys are tempted when we do sermons to say, oh, I'm just going to go back to the restroom real quick? That's missing the most important part of this week, the sermons, God's word, God's message to us from the Bible, Pastor Mike preaching it to us. By you saying, oh, I'm going to go to the bathroom first, you're missing the most important part. And how many of you guys, when we're during game time, would say, oh man, I think I'm going to miss, miss my turn this round because I'm going to go to the bathroom. You wouldn't even consider that. You wouldn't even think about that. No, like if it's not my turn, and I know for sure it's not my turn, but no, I could definitely hold it till after if it's during game time. But all of a sudden, when it's time for us to sit down and listen to the sermons, I gotta go to the bathroom. Like there's been so many sermons that I've sat in, in before that like I didn't have to go to the bathroom, then I started to have to go to the bathroom. And guess what? There have been times when like I'm sitting in my chair and I really have to go to the bathroom, but guess what? I'm not gonna get up and go to the restroom because I, wanna, I don't wanna miss it. I wanna be there. I can even think of a main service sermon like two months ago where I just had to go so bad. Like even after he dismissed it, I was like walking to the restroom and I had like a funky walk because I had to go to the bathroom so bad. You guys know what I'm talking about. It's like, but guess what? I don't want to miss it. You can pay attention to the sermons by preparing yourself before you come in to listen to the sermons, by going to the bathroom before. I know it sounds like we're talking to like third graders here, but guess what? This thing's going to come into your mind when you're, when you're listening to a sermon. Oh man, I, I, I kind of have to go to the restroom. Or maybe you don't really, but you just want to find a way out of it. Guess what? We're not going to let you go to the bathroom. <laughs> We're going to say, go back to your seat. Do it when you're done. Go to the restroom before. Guess what? Because we want to eliminate distractions. You getting up, guess what? All of a sudden, people are like, why, why are they getting up? Oh, they're going to the bathroom. Oh, I guess I don't really have to, but like maybe I should too. Then it got, what? everyone's going to the restroom. We're not going to do that at Revival. And hopefully, you don't do that. The sermons. Bring a physical Bible. Bring notes. We're going to give you a note packet. Take notes. That's a way to pay attention. It's like, well, I, I, I do better just like listening. Do, do we really? Maybe some of you do. But a way that you can keep your mind engaged is by writing things down, especially when it's maybe at the end of the day and we're a little tired. Guess what? You can keep your mind engaged by as he's talking about things, writing things down. That keeps you engaged. And then you can look back when it's small group time and say, okay, I've got these notes and I can remember what he was talking about when small groups happen the next day. Think about who do you sit next to during the sermons? Are they going to distract you? Are they going to help you to pay attention because they're going to be focused? Are they engaged? Are you engaged? Listening well? Or is it like some of you I see in main service who is like resting on my knee and leaning back and like looking up in the sky? Are we engaged? Paying attention. When you pay attention to the sermons. Next, another spiritual aspect of revival is small groups. And it can be tempted to put on a fake face during small groups. Act like you're this perfect Christian kid when you're not. So point B, we need to be honest during small groups. Be honest during small groups. I hear from leaders sometimes about how, like, how did small groups go today? Oh, it was, it was all right, but they just all gave the, the, the right answer. We're not here in small groups when we talk about the sermons, which are going to be the morning after, 
um, the sermons that we hear the night before, we're not here to say what the right answer is. No, the purpose of small groups is to say, hey, this is the real answer. This is like what I'm really thinking. This is what's really going on in my mind and in my heart. Oh, well, I don't want to look like weird. Like, I don't want to be like the weird person that says, like, I actually don't agree with this or I actually don't like that. It's like the point of small groups is to be open, be honest, not try to look like, oh, yeah, everything's great with me. Yeah, there's nothing wrong at all. Yeah, life's awesome. And I'm reading the Bible every day and praying all the time and serving and nothing's wrong and I'm always happy. And it's like, no, you're not a fake person. Like, no one's like that all the time. We've got challenges. We've got difficulties, things that are hard to understand. Be honest during small groups. Turn your Bibles to Luke 18. This isn't talking about small groups specifically, but I think the principles apply over to small groups and I want to apply over this week. Luke 18, verse 9. Jesus says, and here Luke writes down, that he, Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. That's some of you guys in small groups who trusted in themselves and thinking that they were righteous. Some of us. Let's look at this parable. It says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. It's like, God, thank you that I'm so great. I don't know, just so much better than all these other people. It's like, you're not going to say that in small groups, but you can give answers that portray that. Like, oh, how can you do this better? It's like, well, I do this, I do this already pretty good and like better than like most people, I think. Or, you know, maybe I need to do a little bit better, but like usually I do it really well. It's like, are you being truthful or are you just trying to put on a face? Look at the tax collector. The tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You see the honesty of the tax collector and the dishonesty of the Pharisee? And ultimately the Pharisee is lying to himself. He's not tricking God. God isn't like, oh, whoa, maybe the Pharisee is actually a really great person. It's like, no, God sees right through it. You're lying to yourself. Tax collector understands his sinfulness, understands the wickedness of his heart. He's open and honest with it to God. You should be open and honest with God and not be afraid to be open and honest with other people as well. Those in your small group, those, your leaders, being honest with them, saying, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm not sure if I am a Christian. Or, yeah, I don't ever really read the Bible. Can we be honest? Let's do that this week. Don't put on a face. Don't act like you're better than others. Don't act like you're smarter than others. Some of you like to think that and can even answer like that in small groups. Be honest like the tax collector. So we got sermons, small groups. Next thing is worship, which takes place before the sermons that we listen to. And when we listen and we sing songs of worship, what we want to do this week at Revival and every time when we sing to him is subpoint C, thoughtfully sing during worship. Thoughtfully sing during worship. The passage I think applies to this is John 4, 24. It says, God is spirit, 
and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So, Pastor says, okay, when we worship God, which is more than just singing to him, I hope you understand that, but part of it is singing to him. So when you worship God, worship him, it says in two areas, in spirit and in truth. Spirit, that's talking about our hearts. That's talking about with excitement, with energy, with our emotions. Are we, when we sing to God, do we really mean what we're singing? That's like that emotion side of it. Like, I am, I'm excited. I can't wait to sing to God. But truth is more so our minds, like thinking about the words that we sing. So we've got our emotions and we've got our minds, our intellect. I think when it comes to worship at revival, we can easily err on the side of getting caught up in the emotion without thoughtfully singing during worship. Because guess what? The worship night and the worship before sessions, it's going to be lights, it's going to be a full band, be a cool stage set up. It's going to be awesome. But are you just going to get caught up looking at, whoa, look at Look at that over there, moving background, the light's moving around. You get caught up in the emotion, but guess what? When the lyrics are on the sing, maybe you're singing them, but guess what? You're not even really thinking about them. Maybe when we do worship, hopefully those of you that have come to main service with us, do you think about the words that we're singing? Or are you just like, oh yeah, that, that was a cool like electric guitar part right there. Like, whoa, the drums are kind of cool. Or do we thoughtfully sing? This week at Revival... If we want it to be the best one yet, we need to thoughtfully sing during worship with excitement, spirit side, with truth, with our minds. Lastly, one part of revival that I mentioned earlier with the verses is, is memorizing God's word. When it comes to memorizing scripture, which you can earn a lot of points for your team, it's actually the biggest point um, a, I guess the biggest, some points you can add to your team is by memorizing these verses. Um, some of you guys can do it easily. Others of you guys struggle with it. But regardless of where it falls, we should do subpoint D. We should joyfully memorize scripture. Joyfully memorize scripture. Are we going to do it begrudgingly? Oh, man. Yeah. Okay, I'll do it because I want to get the points, but like, who cares? Maybe some of you guys, I know some of you guys are, can memorize things really quickly, and it's going to take you 10 minutes every single day to memorize. That's it. Memorize it quick. But do you actually remember it in a year? Or do you just throw it in your short-term memory? Oh, yeah, I can recite it quickly, but guess what? If I asked you next year, you'd be like, uh, yeah, I don't know what it is. Or even sometimes a more specific question to ask that shows that it, not just vain repetition, but it's like, okay, so what does that verse mean? If it's, hey, here's the passage you got to memorize, and I ask you, what does it mean? Oh, like something like this. Is that really what it's saying? Should thoughtfully memorize scripture, but also joyfully memorize it. Be excited about it. Like, I can store up God's word, what God wants me to, to know, and I can store it up here. Guess what? So whenever a situation comes up, and I'm like, oh man, what should I do? Oh, well, let me think about that verse that I memorized. Let me thoughtfully consider what God wants me to do, not just what I want to do. Joyfully memorize scripture. So we've got the sermons, we've got small groups, worship, verse time, memorizing scripture. Joyfully do it. We should care about these things more than we care about games, free time, 
team time. Those things are great. I want you to enjoy them. I don't want it to be, oh, great, I can't enjoy the games anymore. <laughs> like, no, that's not the point of it. But recognize what's most important. Don't be caught up with these peripheral things and not on the main thing. I went recently this week to um, a Mexican restaurant, and at the Mexican restaurant we went to, they set out chips and salsa as like an appetizer, and we're pretty hungry, so Becca and I get in there, and we start downing these, these chips and salsa, and they're like, you guys want some more chips and salsa? I'm like, yeah, sure, dude, chips and salsa. Then we order, and they were eating more chips and salsa, and it's kind of spicy, so I need a lot of water, and I'm drinking like... I feel like we down like three bags of chips and salsa. Um, tons of stuff, because it was like really good. I was stoked about it. And then by the time my food came, I was like, snap. I like, I kind of filled up already with like the chips and salsa. Has anyone done that before too? It's like, oh man, like these tacos that I ordered and Becca got a burrito. It's like, man, I was really looking forward to these tacos, but guess what? I kind of filled up with just having some chips and like, I'm not really enjoying these tacos like I should. So when we compare that to this time at Revival, the chips would be corresponding to the games, the caring about your team winning. They're good things. Like, chips aren't bad. It's not like, hey, don't eat the chips. It's like, they're good, but guess what? It's not the main meal. It's not the main dish. It's not the, the tacos or the burrito or the enchilada. It's like, yeah, that's like the main meat of it. Same too with the sermons, small groups, spiritual aspects of Revival. That's the bulk of it. That's the most precious and valuable thing of this week. And while it's good to enjoy your chips when you go out, you want to make sure you really treasure the tacos, <laughs> the burritos, you know, enchiladas, oof, yeah, mm, yeah, quesadillas, yeah, oof, man, so good, yeah, enjoy the, the tacos of revival, the burritos of revival, not the ones that some of you older leaders are thinking about, sermons, small groups, worship, and scripture. Second way to have a successful revival, first caring about spiritual aspects. Second, it's going to sound kind of weird, but point number two, think more about others. I want you to think more about others this week. And it's not just my words. Philippians 2.4 makes this clear. Turn your Bibles to Galatians 2 after you write down that point. Think more about others. In, sorry, Philippians 2, not Galatians 2. Wrong book. There we go. Philippians 2. Later, we see this example of Jesus and his humility. But right before that, verse 3, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Say, hey, don't be selfish. Don't be prideful. Consider others more significant, more important than you. And then verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. A temptation for you this week is to think that this week is all about you. You'd be half right. It's like, yeah, all the leaders and all the people that are helping, games crew, tech, Pastor John, high school team, all like, yeah, we're trying to put on a great camp for you. But what you need to do is see it bigger than yourself. Verse 4. Look not only to his own interests, to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. I want you to think more about others this week. There's a bunch of ways to do that. First way, sub point A, you should be a team energizer. 
Be a team energizer. Right when we get there, obviously we're going to announce what team you're on. We're going to be on different teams. Say, oh, you're on team of this, you're on team of that. Are you going to be someone who's an energizer to your team, an encourager to your team? Or when it's, oh, this is the team and you're on that team, are you going to be like, oh, I'm stuck with those guys? Can't believe, I got those girls on my team? Like, wow, we've got no shot. Or like, oh, I really wanted to be on that team. I was such, that team's way better than my team. Is that going to be your attitude? Are you going to be an encourager to your team? Are you going to do what 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, therefore encourage one another and build one another up? Because what does that say about the other people on your team? If you say, oh, I wish I was with them. That's not being encouraging to your teammates. That's saying, I really don't care about you. I don't value you. You suck. That's not what God wants us to do. What about during games? Oh, man, yeah. Yeah, the guys on my team, like, yeah, we always do well, but the girls stink at the games. That's why we always lose. The girls do awful on our team. Or the uh, seventh grade guys just like, oh, they, they always get dominated in the games. Are you being an encourager to your team? Are you putting other people down? Build up your team. What about spirit points? Spirit points is a way like doing chants or maybe skits and stuff to earn points for your team. Are you going to be like, oh, I don't want to chant that because that's like embarrassing. I'm not doing that. That's lame. I don't, I don't want to do that. I'm not doing that. No. Are you going to be encouraging? You're like, yeah, let's do it because I care about my team. Rooms. Well, I didn't want to be with these people. I don't want to be with them. Can we think about those other people that are in your room? It's not being kind to them. It's not being encouraging to them. Be team energizers, bringing them together. I know part of the whole premise of this sermon is a lot of us care way too much about winning and we need to like, temper that back a little bit and care about other things more. But some of you guys don't care at all. You're going to go to revival and you really don't care if you come in first or last place. It doesn't really mean that much to you. Guess what? When you're at revival, I want you to care about winning. It sounds weird to be like, whoa, Nathan, you just told us like not to care. Well, yeah, if you care too much, I'm, which I think is most of us, we need to temper that back a little bit. But guess what? If you don't care at all, what you need to do this week is care because guess what? Your team is going to care. Maybe not everyone, but there are people on your team that do care. And can you think about them and not just think about yourself? Be a team energizer. But guess what? Not just with your team, but guess what? There's going to be other teams. And are you going to be like, oh, well, I'm on this team, so I can't hang out with those people on the other team because guess what? You're the enemies. Yeah, stay away. Like, oh, yeah, bad guys. No. Like, even if it's not during game time, we're like going back to the rooms. It's like, hey, no, like, this is just us over here. Get out of here. Or can we do, subpoint B, be a church unifier? Can we bring unity between this ministry as a whole? Oh, you're not in our small group. Oh, you're not in our room. You're not on our team. You're the bad guys. Oh, yeah, meals. No, this is just where our, our team sits together during mealtime. It's just for us. Can we think bigger than that? Not trying to make these arbitrary distinctions between ourselves. Galatians 3, Paul addresses a church that is making unnecessary distinctions between believers. Galatians 3.28, he responds that saying, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
wait, Paul, are you saying that there's like, there's not male and there's not female? Like those two don't exist? It's like, no, there are male and there are female. Are you saying that there's like no Jewish people and no Greek people? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, well, these people were trying to say, hey, Jews over here, Greeks over here, males over here, females over here. Got to make all these separations between us. His, his point is like, no, you are all one in Christ. So when we're at camp this week and we're trying to make these distinctions, you're not with our small group, you're not on our team, and it's during free time when we're hanging out together, during the meal time. Like, yeah, when we're doing games, be all about your team. Don't put other teams down. But yeah, be connected with your team. But that doesn't have to carry over into the free time. So the bus is on the way back. We can be a church unifier and not make these arbitrary distinctions. Free time, buses, meals. Subpoint A, I want you to think more. We said we want to think about others more. Subpoint A is think about those on your team outside of yourself. Subpoint B is think about others that aren't on your team. Next, subpoint C. In order to put into practice, think more about others, we should, subpoint C, increase your circle of friends. Increase your circle of friends. Those of you that were at the park hangout on Friday, we're going through a book together, and the chapter we read this week was about friends. And if you're in the guy circle, we talked, I asked a question about like how many close friends would you say that you have? And I got answers like four or three or five. Like, who are like my closest friends? Like, these are my guys. Girls think the same thing. Like, who are like your closest friends? Like, yeah, that's my like inner circle right there. Three, four, five. Well, how can we seek to expand that this week? Not say, oh, you're not one of my three closest friends. So guess what? I don't really want to hang out with you this week. Matthew 7, 12 says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Put yourselves in someone else's shoes. What if someone is out there and they're lonely? And guess what? They don't really have that many friends in the narrow. And guess what? Because they're not part of your close circle, you never invite them to go on a boat with you. You don't invite them to come to the pool with you. Because guess what? It's like, no, they're, they're not part of my close, my close friends. Can we be more welcoming? Increase our circle of friends. When you sign up for boats every day, is it always the same four, five, six people? Because, no, this is just our group. When you go to hang out at the pool, oh, no, I don't want to hang out with that person. That person's weird. Yeah, I don't know that person. Or can we increase our circle of friends? Say, yeah, come with us. Think about others outside of your friend group. Part of Matthew 7, 12 is put yourself in their shoes. Imagine you're a new person that hasn't really gotten connected into the narrow, but because revival sounds like a, sum, a fun summer camp, you sign up. And guess what? That person hasn't really been connected with the group, and you are there, who you're already kind of friends with the people in the group that come regularly, and you're like, this is our group, and I'm new, and so I already feel kind of awkward because I don't know you guys very well, and you guys are just looking forward to this week to get to know each other very well and build the relations with each other, and when you guys go out and sign up for boats, I'm kind of left in the background because I don't really know anybody. And maybe you try asking me, hey, you want to go to the pool with us? But because I'm shy and I feel weird because it's like my first time here, I say no. And then you stop asking me. And then guess what? I'm sitting in my room all by myself and feel like no one wants to hang out with me. Like that would suck. That would be awful. If that was you at Revival this week, I would feel sorry for you. Can we look out for the people 
that maybe aren't even in this room right now because they don't really come to the narrow, but we want to include them and welcome them into our group, welcome into the narrow family. Can we do that? Think outside of ourselves for a minute. Increase our circle of friends. Look out for the lonely, the outcasts. But they're weird. Who cares? A lot of you guys won't even give someone a chance. A chance. Because, no, this is our circle. This is our group. Can we do that? These first points we're talking about, when we think about others, thinking about other students. Those on our team, those outside of our team, the lonely. Next, I want us to think about the people that are serving. The leaders that are coming alongside with you around this room. We, you need to do this week in thinking about others. So point D is be a joy to your leaders. Be a joy to your leaders. Are you going to make your leader's job difficult or fun? Are they going to walk away this week and be like, I don't want to do that again? Or do you want them to walk away like, man, dude, the group that I was with, that was awesome. That was so fun. Because guess what? A lot of your leaders are taking off a week of work to, to come. They're signing up to take off a work of week, uh, take off a week of work. Whoa, a work of week, yeah. Whoa, tongue tied. Take off a week of work, some of them, a week of their summers, to say, you know what I want to do? I want to go to Havasu with a bunch of 7th and 8th graders that smell in a 114 degree weather the entire week where I'm going to get very little sleep. Yeah, sign me up for that. <laughs> well, if you put it that way, Nathan, it doesn't sound like, like the greatest thing. It's like, but guess what? They're not going to bash it over your head. Hey, just remember how much I'm doing for you this week. Yeah, remember that I'm just really serving you by coming this week. No, they're not going to hold that over your head. Guess what? They're going to do it joyfully. They're going to do it excitedly. But guess what? Just because they're going to do it joyfully doesn't mean that you have to make it harder for them. Make it a joy for your leaders. Way to do that, look at Hebrews 13, 17. Way to make your leader's job a joy. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them. <laughs> Whoa. God's word says, hey, this week, what you need to do with the leaders on your team, leaders in your room, you need to obey them and submit to them. All right, guys, it's time to go to sleep. Let's turn off the lights. Oh, no, I mean, this is revival. We can do whatever we want. Guys, girls, let's, let's clean up our room. We don't want to get docked points for not having a clean room. It's like, oh, well, whatever. Who, who cares? No, obey. Listen to the leaders. Why? For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Your leader is going to have to give an account this week to God for how they served. Wow. That's intense. They're going to have to give an account to God. So how, how'd you serve with those, the group of guys? How'd you serve with that group of girls? That's a big task. But guess what? It says later in Hebrews 13, 17, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. It's like, how many of you guys, if I said you got to choose between one leader, this leader is going to be really excited and hyped the entire time, and this leader is just going to be complaining and whining and groaning. It's like, all right, which leader do you want? It's like the groaning one for sure. No, it's like, you wouldn't want that. You'd be like, dude, like, why'd you even come? Like, if you're just going to complain this whole time and, and whine about it. It's like, no, it's not good. 
Are you going to make your leaders want to complain and want to groan? Are you going to, in some ways, instill them to sin and push them to sin? Encourage them to when you shouldn't. Listen to your leaders. Make it fun for them. What about this? Spend time with your leaders. Whoa. Hey, and Cozy, we're signing up for a boat tomorrow. You want, you want to come, up, come on the boat with us? Be like, yeah, dude, let's do it. Yeah, sign me up. Hey, Amy, we're going to the pool to hang out. Like, you want to come with us to the pool? Yeah, I'd love to. That sounds great. Hey, Lucas, we're going to go to the uh, inflatables on the water. You, you, want to, you want to join us? Luke, we're going to go get some snacks. Lauren, we're going to go play, play in the lake a little bit. It's like, yeah, encourage them. Say, hey, spend time with us. Hey, we, we're thankful that you're here. I care about you, and I want to spend time with you. Make it a joy for them. Be a joy to your leaders. Think about them. Last two things. Sub point E, this week, you need to watch your words. Watch your words. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. A lot of you this week are going to be tempted to not use words that are good for building up, but are good for tearing down, good for belittling others. Maybe it's out the game time, and someone on another team does something, and they get totally annihilated in a round. Ha <laughs> ha, sucker, ah, loser. Ah, look at this guy, I just got pummeled. Ha! <laughs> oh, it's like, <laughs> you're going to think of that exact thing when you're doing the games and someone gets destroyed. You're going to be like, oh, Nathan, Nathan said not to, not to make fun of others. Watch your words. Watch your words. Be encouraging, we're going to be discouraging. When someone on games crew says, no, you're out, like, you're out, or you lost this round. It's like, no, but I, I didn't, I, I, no, but I did Are we going to watch our words? Are we going to throw a, a pity party and whine and pout on the ground and complain and whine to our leaders? No, we need to be careful with our words. Part of watching our words is watching our emotions, keeping our emotions in check. I know it's going to be tiring. We're going to have four full days together. You're going to be tired, and that's when we let our guard down oftentimes. Girls, maybe you get worried, you get anxious, you get nappy, and the small things turn into big things. Like, I put my stuff right here, and someone moved it right here. Who moved it? It was supposed to be right here, and you get mad at other girls, and it's like, hey, let's calm down. Let's be careful about the words that we make. Let's be quick to overlook offenses, which Proverbs talks about. Guys, you're joking with each other. What kind of words are you using? Uplifting or tearing down? During game time? You getting caught up in the heat of the moment because you're ultra competitive? Take a step back. Watch yourself. Watch your words. Watch your attitude. Discouraging words. Oh, your team sucks. You did awful at that game. I don't like so-and-so. They're the worst. Watch ourselves. Watch our words. One Proverbs that's not written on your worksheet, but write down Proverbs 18.6. It's one that I came across this week that I don't know if I had fully treasured or, or valued it as I did this week. Proverbs 18.6 says, A fool's lips 
walk into a fight. <laughs> so a fool's lips, just the words that they're saying, is like their words are getting themselves into trouble. They're walking themselves into that fight just by talking smack. And his mouth invites a beating. It's the picture of you coming up to like some professional MMA boxer and being like, you suck. Like, oh, I could take you easily like with one hand tied behind my back. Like, yeah, you're the worst. It's like your mouth, like the words that you're saying, guess what? You're going to rile someone up and guess what? Your mouth is inviting a beating. If you get beat up by that MMA person, guess what? I'm going to have no pity for you because guess what? You should have watched your mouth. You should have been careful with the words that you're saying. Can we not get ourselves into fights, get ourselves into conflict, get ourselves into trouble this week just by watching our words. Slow to speak, slow to anger. Lastly, if you want to think more about others this week, lastly, win and lose well. Win and lose well. What? Win and lose well. At the end of this week, Guess what? There's only going to be one winner. One team's going to win. Yeah, some of you leaders are like, yeah, it's going to be my team. <laughs> like, we'll see. And guess what? There's going to be a whole lot of losers. <laughs> Sorry, just how it works. We don't give everyone participation trophies here at church. It's going to be a winning team, a bunch of losing teams. How are we going to respond? How can you think more about others, whether you're the winner or you're the loser? Well, if you win... You should apply Proverbs 24, 17, which says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. You're going to be placed on a team, you're going to have a lot of enemies this week. And when they stumble, you get happy place, or they stumble, you edge them out, you get first, they get second. Do you rejoice? Ha, ha, ha. We're the winners. <laughs> Look at us. Let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Oh, wow, you lost. Losers. Walking out of the auditorium, yeah, we are the champions, my friend. It's like, ha, 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 look at me on the way back on the bus. I'm the winner. And you guys, is that what our attitude's going to be? Or are we going to think about others and say, man, if I was in their shoes, would I appreciate that? No, I wouldn't. So I'm going to be careful. If you lose, which guess what's the majority of us, <laughs> majority of y'all, I guess I'm not on a team, so. I won't win, but I won't lose. I'm just going to be in the middle. Um, impartial. Apply Proverbs 27 2. It says, Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. This applies to the winners and the losers. If you're a winner, this applies to you because guess what? Don't praise yourself. Let someone else praise you and say, Yeah, your team did a great job. Like, you guys did show a lot of spirit this week. Great job memorizing the verses. Yeah, just really good job. It's great that you guys won. And if you're a loser, how hard is it going to be for you to praise the team that won and say, wow, yeah, you guys did, did a great job this week? Or are you going to be so frustrated that you didn't win that it ruins the rest of your night? And guess what? You can't say anything positive about them because you're so upset because you got rigged and it was robbed out of you and, and all these other reasons why you lost. Or can you say encouraging things? Like, well done. Yeah, great job. Some of you guys, it's like the end of the world to you. Like, saying something good about a team that just beat me? Like, no. I'm not doing that. Win. If you win, win humbly. If you lose, lose graciously. If you 
apply these things this week at Revival, you're going to have the best week of your life. Guarantee it. But if you try to make this week all about solely winning, the games, boats, guess what? You could walk away disappointed if that's all you're in it for. Don't walk away thinking, Nathan doesn't want me to enjoy the games, because I do. The games are epic. So fun. Games, the teams, it's like this is going to be the best revival ever. And I don't want you to miss out on the most important parts about it by making it only about those things and forgetting about sermons, small groups, worship, scripture. By making it only about you and not thinking about other people. If you put this into practice, these principles from scripture, it can be the best week of your life. As I said at the get-go, this is my 10th year of revival. And I was thinking through, as I was thinking through a lot of these principles and looking at these passages, a lot of these principles, I can say, don't do this and do this because guess what? I've made the mistakes. I've made the errors going to revival and making it only about winning. I've made the mistakes of going to revival and saying, I'm just going to do whatever I feel like doing this week. I've made those mistakes. I've not watched my words, said things that I shouldn't have said not caring about other people, being an annoyance to my leaders, not really being excited about my team, not really listening to the sermons, all errors, all mistakes. Let's not do that this week. We can have the best week of our lives. Let's pray. God, we ask that these principles from Scripture would be put into practice this week, that even as we head off to Arizona tomorrow, that we would be excited, we'd be eager, but ultimately we'd be eager and excited about the things that matter most. That, yeah, we would enjoy the games and have fun, but also we would enjoy and have fun listening to the sermons, worshiping you, memorizing your word. We also think about others and not just ourselves. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.